Hello, hello. You are listening to the Aligned Birth Podcast. Uh, Dula Rachel here today with me. I'm Dr. Shannon. We're the hosts of the show. And today we are chatting about a Pathways to Family Wellness Magazine article. So we've done these articles in the past two. Pathways Magazine is a wonderful and beautiful chiropractic-based publication. However, the magazine that comes out quarterly is full of birthy articles. And so they'll have holistic healthcare providers, OBs, midwives, doulas, and all these wonderful articles about birth, families, raising children, like all of the wonderful things that we want to know more information about. So Rachel and I like to pick an article every once in a while and go through it and talk about it and talk about what resonates with us and what we got out of the article. And then we always link the full text article as well too in the show notes. So um, that's what we are chatting about today, my friend. Hello, and welcome to the Aligned Birth Podcast. We are so glad you are here. I'm Dr. Shannon, a prenatal chiropractor. And I'm Rachel, a birth doula and childbirth educator. And we are the team behind the Aligned Birth Podcast. Between us, we have experienced a cesarean birth, a VBAC, hospital births, and a home birth. Our personal experiences led us to where we are today. We share a lot in common. We are friends from high school who reconnected through our work. We both changed career paths after the births of our own children. We light up when talking about health and birth, and we are both moms to two young boys. This podcast was created to share conversations and interviews about topics from pregnancy and birth to motherhood and the importance of a healthy body and mind through it all. Our goal is to bring you fun, interesting, and helpful conversations that excite you and make you want to learn more. We believe that when you are aligned in body, mind, and your intuition, you can conquer anything. We hope you enjoy the episode. So it's good to talk with you today. Hi, Dr. Shannon. I'm so glad to be back on with you. We've sort of taken the summer off from recording together, and I am thrilled to be recording with you again today. And it's just been nice to have a little bit of a break, but yet we did keep recording, right? It's not like a full full break. <laughs> we no. just did more solo stuff. We did. But I, when I was thinking this morning, I was like, I haven't, like, we haven't sat and recorded the whole entire summer. So yeah. And that was kind of the goal. Yeah, that was the goal and frame of reference for now. Um, cause I, we, whatever we chatted beforehand before starting this recording, I still don't remember what we talked about, like when our, when these are coming out these episodes, but we just survived the first week back to school. So, um, and in Georgia, we start August 1st. <laughs> I'm, it's like, which was I'm, just like a second ago. I know. And we're like, this is, you know, it's still summer, but like, we're like, summer break is over. It's very odd. Um, so that's what I mean by like, we took the summer off of recording like together. I mean, I was gone. You had so much going on. And then we were able to squeeze in some like solo episodes, but for us to chat together, we haven't done that. <laughs> we haven't done I that know, a bit. <laughs> but it's fun to be able to do some of the stuff we did with the front loading at, towards the end of the school year. And that helped a ton because yeah, I do huge. have to say for those that are listening, you know, yes, we haven't recorded all summer, but did you notice that yeah. a new episode came out every Wednesday? Right. So we kept it going, which we is kept it going, which was freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then like, I mean, there was like vacations and 
stuff so happening much. with, um, you know, house renovations over here and new puppy stuff. And I know I was gone for three weeks. <laughs> I don't even know what happened. So, <laughs> but it was cool though, because we got to keep it going. And then towards the end of summer, we both did a few solo episodes, which was nice. So it's just, it's just good to have the flexibility of, of what we're doing, but yet keep creating the shows. Um, but I missed you. I know I missed you too. I missed these conversations and it keeps the, these fun, like birth worker things at the front of my mind. So I think it's yep. important to have that rest and that time away and that break, but then also it's so good to get back into this routine and talk all this birthy stuff. Yes. You know? I've been looking forward to this all week. Because Yay. I'm like, I get to record with Shan. <laughs> I know. I know. And we love recording this so much too. And at the time that we're recording this, um, we've had 4,000 downloads. So I saw that. That's pretty This pretty week cool we too. crossed 4,000. Are yeah. you kidding? I know. That's really awesome. So that yep. is really exciting <laughs> because it feels like it was just at 3000. So it feels like things are growing. It feels like we were just at like a hundred. Oh. <laughs> I remember when we were like, Oh my God, we hundred downloads. <laughs> like right. I know, for some, for some, for some people that may not be a big number, but for us, it's. I yeah, And I think it's big. I mean, yeah, you know, you hear the other podcasts as like 1 million downloads, but I saw, I was doing something the other day on social media and I found a podcast and it even had in like the little bio and it said like, over 4,000 downloads. And I was like, well, hot damn, that's us. We should you know? put that in our... I know. So I was like... <gasps> you need to be broadcasting that. You're right. No, it is big. I think it's huge. I just think it's different. Everyone has their different, you know, yeah, perception their metrics of what's... measuring. Yeah. And I'm like, like every week when it's like 120 <laughs> downloads, I'm like, are you kidding me? That's awesome. <laughs> I know. I know. So, I'm like, I love it. <laughs> to those out there who are listening... Thank you. We yes. get so excited. Yes, we do. We love it. Um, and we love having these birthday conversations. So like, again, today, I said we were going to be doing our Pathways article. Really didn't tell you what the article was about, though. So that's great. But here we're going to talk about, it's called You're Not Allowed to Not Allow Me, Reclaiming the Rights of Mothers During Birth. And so Ooh, this yes. is going to be, yeah, yes. the picture that the article has, um, that the little graphic that they have with it, it says words have power and we can take back that power in some simple ways. Um, words I mean, do have, words power. have power. I tell my kids that all the time. And mm -hmm. here's the thing. I try to remember that all the time when I'm parenting, when I'm with patients, when I, just interacting with anything, because you can build someone up or tear them down with just the words, you know, right. and it doesn't even stones, have to be aggressive. Yes. It doesn't even have to be aggressive. It can be subtle and over time. And that's kind of what this article mm -hmm. gets at is that the overtime nature of how we subtly take, like use words that don't put the power in the birthing person's uh, control. It just mm -hmm. diminishes their confidence. And, well, and I mean, this is total sidebar, but the words that are typically used in the birthing community too already irritate me. Like the failure to pro progress, failure to mm -hmm. progress, like that kind of, that bothers me. Like, and it may have been that failure, but like, can we, can we flip that script just a bit? Or like Absolutely. even that incompetent cervix. I'm like, I really said dislike cervix my cervix is incompetent. incompetent. No, like, or oh. failure, failed induction, yes. failed feedback. 
They'll, and so you know. all of that, those words have power. And so it's not again, pass or fail people. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It is not. It's how you feel and it's how you're treated like all along the way. And it's the, the language that you sort of expose yourself to, or that you, when I started learning about this, it's like, I just became aware so that I could like deflect when I was hearing it, I, in my own mind, I could flip that script. You know, you can't change the world or, or make everyone speak differently, but it's how you perceive it. And then mm-hmm. how you speak to others when you're sharing about, you know, even birthing people, totally innocent, like talking mm-hmm. about the doctor, allowing them to do X, Y, or Z, you know, allowing me to go beyond my due date, allowing me to labor out, um, in different positions, allowing me to push in different positions. Like, and they're saying that when they're sharing mm-hmm. their birth story, totally innocent, right? No judgment, but that's because they were told that they were allowed or not allowed to do something. So they perceive it as that. And then when they're sharing, it's just that ripple effect. And so. No. And you have caught me in that multiple times, even on the show. Like I have learned so much from you as well too, because I will even, I'll say something and be like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I mean, I just say it. And again, it's, I'm not meaning it in a bad way, but it's almost like that's ingrained in Condition. me as well. And so mm-hmm. just kind of rewriting that. And so that's where I think doulas can play that because you can help rewrite that, you know, as helping patients be and to advocate for themselves. Well, yeah. And uh, doulas, uh, all, all providers who are part of a birthing person's journey, right? Like mm-hmm. doctors, midwives, chiropractors, physical therapists, pelvic floor therapists, lactation consultants, like everyone. And, but then the birthing people themselves have, have an opportunity to flip the script and choose providers who have, who have, who use supportive language, who, mm-hmm. you know, or who they can, and, you know, have, take the time to, talk with them about kind of flipping that script. And sometimes it's just bringing awareness. And I think somewhere in this article, Mm -hmm. it talks about like, you don't have to go into every conversation prepared to convince somebody that it's right. Something's right or wrong. It's just bringing general awareness to, you know, the words that they're using and so that the words have. Yeah. Yeah. With our clients, like that word makes me feel a certain way. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with our clients, we try and give them questions to ask their providers, not in the, not in the um, way of, will you allow me or do you allow me or do they allow me? It's, do you support or how do you support or what does it look like with you with this kind of procedure or, you know, getting opinions, extracting information, not asking permission. Mm, that, I mean, that's what I've picked up so much from you too. It's those like, and it's kind of like an open-ended question as far as like explain yes, this to me rather than just like the yes, yes or, or no. no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I will yeah. say this article was published, what, 2015 and it's got some 2014 like statistics and stuff in it that we'll go through. So yeah, just there's for, a little bit of know, date to it, for, but it's for a frame also, of reference there. But it's still so... It's still... Revelant. That's not a word. Prevalent and relevant. I just put those words together. I think that should be a new word. Prevalent. What did I say? I don't even know what I just said. I don't know what you said. It's relevant, prevalent. It's it's still meaningful. (laughs) It's still important. (laughs) I printed off this article and I usually when we do these, I highlight the points I want to drive home. I highlighted the whole darn thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. So, I have guys, that issue too. <laughs> we're going to link the article so you can read it, but we just use it as a catalyst for conversation. Um, we find it kind of fun and looking forward to kind of dissecting this one with you today. 
Yeah. So it starts off, um, for most women, pregnancy and childbirth are one of the few times we let other adults tell us what we are allowed and not allowed to do with our own bodies. It's time to change our language around this to reflect the legal and ethical reality that is the patient who allows the provider to do something, not the other way around, and to eliminate a word that has no place between true partners, true partners in care. We hear the word allow used regularly by well-meaning care providers, family members, and by pregnant women themselves. And so that's what this article is focusing on is that allow word. And that's what you had even said too, when we flipped the script and saying, instead of even asking, do you allow this? Right. Um, It should be that providers are supporting mm -hmm. birthing people in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course it's, there's the providers are there to look out for the well-being and health of the birthing person, but it's not to tell them what to do. It's to provide guidance and recommendation and support so that they can make decisions that are best for them, period. And I think when, when it comes down to like allowing and not allowing, it seems to be that it is really looking at the risk that the provider is willing to take, right? Because that's kind of where it comes like, well, this is too risky for whatever reason. So we're not going to allow it. And so when you can come in as the one who is giving birth and saying, okay, well, how do you support this? Or how can we support this? Then that can open up the conversation as to, well, why is this too risky? You know, where is this information coming from? Where is this data coming from? And that can open up that conversation. And that maybe even that gives you like, okay, well, I do agree with that. So I am okay. Exactly. It can go both ways. Mm -hmm. It's not about, it's not about combating everything because you don't want to do it or because you're going to decline everything. It's not about that at all. It's saying that the provider's role is to share information based on evidence, current evidence, to look at the individual's unique medical history, unique individual needs, and to uh, like work together, you know, Mm -hmm. to make a decision that's right for them in that situation, and then put it in their like court for making a final decision. Even if you have an opinion about the way they should go, that doesn't mean that that's what they're going to choose and that that's their right. Like you have a right to choose what you want for your body and your baby. And it's like, it's, it's, it's complicated because mm-hmm. their their goal is to you know look out for the best interest of the birthing person. However, in today's medical culture, a lot of the decision making is based out of fear and risk of something happening to the provider, not to the birthing person. Right? It's a exactly. lot of avoiding mm-hmm. liability, it's which liability. again, that's I don't I don't feel bad. I not no, not that I don't feel bad. I don't want to be in that role where I have to bear that kind of responsibility. Like at all. So it's, it's, I don't envy where Mm -hmm. the thin line they have to walk because I do believe vast majority of providers have good intentions and want to serve or they wouldn't be there. Like it started from a place of really wanting to, to do something good in the world, but then they get, you know, bombarded or Mm -hmm. overwhelmed by the, the industry, the way it's, operated with insurance and risk and liability. And so then decisions end up being driven based on liability, based on the liability rather than a normal physiological birthing process. Birth. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what is truly best for the, that, that individual birthing person. Um, and so 
it's not just that they're assessing risk because it, a lot of people perceive that if, well, if my doctor says it's best, then it must be best. And it's like, well, you know you mm-hmm. and they know birth or they know intervention or they know, you know, how to find and treat problems, but it's like, they don't know you. And so kind of coming together and a doctor who sees you as part of that decision-making, that's what you want. You know, you want someone to support you all along the way. Um, And it's complicated, but I just think it's about for people who are most likely listening to this, it's trying to flip the script on how we talk to birthing people and Mm -hmm. choosing providers and, and driving are like putting our money where our mouth is and choosing providers who are that way so that we can ultimately get more providers on board and realizing, oh, okay, like we need to make a change here. But even to to the last statement you said from the article talking about like well-meaning care providers and family members, you know, using it, using the word allow, we also have major organizations like ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, putting out statements that, again, well-intentioned and and overall positive, but let's read it and see if you can identify the problem. Here's what they said um, on NPR. Women with low-risk pregnancies should be allowed to spend more time in labor to reduce the risk of having an unnecessary C-section. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The language. <laughs> the language. <laughs> Persists. And it's like, and then, you know, correspondents responding to this saying that this is a quote that they may mean, that may mean that we allow a patient to labor longer, to push for longer amount of time and to allow patients to take more time through the natural process. Overall, that's a good statement, right? Like overall, you mm-hmm. understand the, the, what they're getting at is like, yeah, we should let people labor. <laughs> exactly. We should leave it alone. However, they're using words like allowed. And these are major, you know, this is still the statement for ACOG, right? This is still the current statement for ACOG. Um, that is what providers use as their kind of guide on recommendations to their client, to their patients. So it's everywhere. And then people responding to it saying, yay, they're going to allow you to, especially if you're low risk and there's no, no complications, you're allowed to labor as you want. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. I know. I appreciate that. (laughs) And, you know, I hear those words a lot too, when I'm talking with moms in the office and when we're talking about providers and birth plans and those type of things, and it's like, oh, well, um, what is it that I hear most? Um, My provider won't allow to go past a certain amount of time with the due date. So there, there, there's main, I think there's themes with it too, because they even mentions in here um, as far as like when we're hearing those, the word allow. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like allowed to go past a certain due date, mm-hmm. allowed for delayed core clamping, allowed for skin to skin immediately afterwards, um, allowing or not allowing for the birthing person to be able to move while, mm-hmm. you know, like in mm-hmm. continuous internal fetal monitoring, like these, that's, this article does focus a little bit on like the, the C-section aspect of things and like mm-hmm. trying to not have as much surgical births, but then also looking at, oh, well, if you've had a C-section, you are now not allowed to have a VBAC. So, that right. tends to be the the theme of this article, but then it also it does mention um, or even even to drink and eat during 
Labor. Well, it's all the things that the the mm-hmm. the tides are changing that they're going to allow you or not. You know, they're more going to allow you to have intermittent monitoring. They're going to allow you to drink during labor. They're going to allow you to do X, Y, and Z. While that's great, again, it's it's not that's not the right language surrounding it. That doesn't empower the birthing person to know that they even have a choice in that matter, and that you know, is it based on their individual needs? Um, and this, the statement from ACOG was to to address reducing the overall um, cesarean rate in the United States, right? Which mm-hmm. is like thirty three percent. And we know that ten to fifteen percent of cesareans are truly necessary. So we have a threefold like uh, cesarean rate. That means a lot of cesareans are happening unnecessarily. So there is an effort to try and reduce that uh, unnecessary primary cesarean, um, but were were you know there's a lot lacking and i think this there was an interesting uh statement in here she says is it ethical to hold women to what an individual provider will allow with the full knowledge that not all providers are practicing to the standard science shows are best for moms and babies and the reality is is 10 to 15 or not 10 to 15 it takes 10 to 15 years for evidence to catch up and actually become practice. And so we know that a lot of people are, a lot of providers might be using outdated information and, and standards. And so what if we're just putting it all in the provider's hands, is that ethical? Or should it be more shared and more open conversation and dialogue between provider and birthing person? I know. And it's, it's that conversation piece, that dialogue piece that um, tends to be missing too. And I, what I think sometimes too with society, we have it so much like, oh, this person has so much extra training than me and so much extra knowledge than me that I mm-hmm. maybe I don't feel on the same level as them to be right. able to question. I'm I'm doing air quotes question because it's not that you're, you know, questioning them, but you're, you're just wanting that more information. They're a doctor. They're there to teach you, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. the meaning of that word. And so sometimes too, I think this takes a little bit of that shift and change in society to say, yes, we can hold them to this higher standard because they do have this expertise. They and are extra knowledge, yes. Yes. but it's also like, can we have, you can still have a conversation with them. You can still ask them to explain certain things and explain themselves and to use, albeit you said to maybe some of that out outdated data, but that's that ever evolving flow. And I think what I see from this article and the point of it too, is to begin to have those conversations with your provider, Mm -hmm. but then checking in because it gets a little bit, you know, I think at some points in the article too, it mentions as far as checking in with that language that you hear Mm -hmm. and how does that sit with you? And then guess what? You can choose a different provider, mm-hmm. you know, you can Hopefully, change at that yeah. time when you're hearing um, that language, but it's also yeah. too becoming aware that like, oh, that language is not supportive, right? Well, yeah. And that's a red flag. So when you're having conversations with your provider and we encourage asking lots of type questions early on in your pregnancy with your, with your doctor or midwife about how they support you in a variety of ways and about interventions and about, you know, length of pregnancy and going beyond your due date and like ask these questions early and and even repetitively over the course of time and make sure how they respond is 
aligned with you and that they're using supportive language and that they are looking out for, you know, your best interest and not just doing things routinely because that's, that's what they do. And, you know, no fault. Again, it's not about blame at all. It's understanding that in the hospital system, there's so many people giving birth and lots, you know, it's like doctors get into like a a routine. It's like, okay, we do this for everybody because it's easier to treat it in this way than, or it's easier to manage it in a certain way, because if we did individualized care for everybody, like we wouldn't have enough time to give all the care we need to give. And that's just an unfortunate situation. And I like to say that because I think it's important for people in the role of patient to have that mindset of like, okay, I understand like they're not all evil or bad. It's just, if you come in and ask some questions, it's going to make your experience better. You know, if you take on this role in this way, it's going to help make your individual experience better. And that has a ripple effect over time. And Mm -hmm. so it's, 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 you know, biting it off one small piece at a time, you know, like a good example is if they, because a lot of interventions are quote unquote routine, meaning they do them for everybody, regardless of their needs. And one might be continuous electronic fetal monitoring. And we know that the evidence indicates that continuous monitoring without need is not, doesn't change the outcome, doesn't improve outcomes. It actually can cause further intervention and problem down the road, down the line. So that could be one where you're, if you're asking, so you know, what kind of monitoring does your hospital provider, what kind of monitoring do you provide during labor and birth? And they might say, we do continuous fetal monitoring. And you could say, well, can you tell me more about that? Because what I've learned about continuous fetal monitoring is that it's not an evidence-based practice and it's not even, you know, what is recommended anymore, you know, and here's where I found that information. And like, that's like one example and then they might say okay well we can do intermittent monitoring you know like you can go back and forth and hopefully make a make some progress in that conversation to where they might kind of take down their walls and be more open to doing some individualized care and you advocating for yourself because that's what's what it's going to take um, but you you can have that conversation without being confrontational yes and that's what um and we'll go into that in a minute too like the um, they've got some simple ways to take back mm-hmm. um, some of that power. But mm-hmm. there was one statement, um, and maybe we can segue into those little ways um, after this one, but um, one of the ones that I highlighted from here, which I guess kind of also supports the whole article as well as that says what woman who has experienced nine months of language like we can't let you and you're not allowed is going to suddenly have the wherewithal to refuse an unnecessary surgery or to even know she has the right to do so mm-hmm. and so it's not a switch mm-mm, mm-mm. It it's takes, a muscle that needs to be exercised mm-hmm. and so if it's taking if if the if the birthing person's also in this area too, where it's, you know, they're trying to learn this language. Well, there is that grace period with the providers as well that are also learning. Okay. I may have learned this in school or learned this a, a certain way, especially of communication. I think of, you know, like bedside. Yes, manner type you're thing. right. But mm-hmm. it's also, there's some unlearning that needs to happen. <laughs> I feel like on like both sides of, um, of the coin. Yes. So to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And the, that goes into the next, this next section that I wanted to read as well. It says, the truth is that women, like all U.S. citizens, have the right to make decisions about their bodies based on informed consent, a legal, ethical standard which requires the provider to convey all of the information around a suggested procedure or course of treatment, and the person receiving the treatment gets to decide whether or not to take that advice. ACOG states clearly about informed consent in maternity care, and they say, the freedom to accept or refuse recommended medical treatment has legal as well as ethical foundations. In the obstetric setting, recognize that a competent pregnant woman is the appropriate decision maker for the fetus that she is carrying. And this stood out to me because actually recently I had a provider tell one of our clients that it is, quote, their job to gather all the professional opinions and recommendations and make the decision for what is best for the birthing person. Mm. Not, this is not their job. That is, that is. Yeah. What about the, what about who's giving birth? Do they have, you know, like they, they are the decision maker. Right. And, and Mm. I think again, that provider was trying to say, she's trying to explain that she's trying to do her best to gather the information and give a recommendation but it is truly the job of the provider to share the information she has gathered, share her opinion and expertise, and then work with the birthing person to make mm-hmm. the decision to that aligns decision. best with them and their unique medical and individual needs, plus their desires and preferences. It's like so complex. It's multi-layered. It's multifaceted. It's called shared decision-making. decision-making. And when we have that, you create empowering experiences where people don't feel like they've been ran over by a bulldozer during the birthing process. Wow. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I know. And it reminds me of, and I've mentioned this before too, the interview I did with um, Latoya, who's the doula with doula view and the fact that they, she was supporting someone who was giving birth and um, they had an epidural, but she wanted to move. And then the doctor was like, nope, you have to lay here. And that's when Latoya was like, okay, so what explain to me if we get her on all fours, what the problem is. And then (laughs) when it boiled down to it, she kept, and she just, she's got that, you know, beautiful persona where it's just, she just peacefully keeps asking. (laughs) And I think the provider was fine. Like, well, she could fall. And it's like, are you, can you take that risk, mama? Are you good? Can we do that? Okay. Let's try all fours. If mom falls and she's chosen to get in that position, I think that's on her, but it's also like Mm -hmm. women are strong and capable. And when you're in labor and pregnant, it doesn't mean you're incapable. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're, um, you know, not paralyzed, but like, um, handicapped or Mm -hmm. it's not a medical emergency. Always. You're not like Mm -hmm. not something wrong. It's like you're in labor. And people birthing on hands and knees is a normal position for normal physiological birth, even with an epidural. Mm-hmm. Like not supporting that is bananas. But also I appreciate her approach because she's like, okay, if we get her into this position, tell me what the problem is. And then the doctor said she might fall. And then you look to the client and say, are you willing to take that risk? I know. All that had to be was explained. Like it's mm-hmm. so simple. And then mm-hmm. the birthing is like, no, of course I want to be on my hands and knees. This is how I w- learned about birthing. And this is what I feel most comfortable. With. And we tell people all the time because avoiding pushing on your back is like a thing, right? Like people mm-hmm. are either like, I really don't want to push on my back. I've heard it's like the worst. And we try and flip it and say, it's here's why pushing on your back can be, can make for a longer pushing stage or a harder pushing stage. Here's how, if you just rolling to your side can open up 
take pressure off the sacrum and open up the pelvis and allow room for baby to come through. That can be really beneficial. However, some people feel good on their back pushing. So it's not painting any like thing is like really bad. It's like, you got to be open. And we we do this over the course of pregnancy to help build up confidence, to trust that, that they know what is best for them in labor, that like, it might feel good on your back and it might not, but you've got to trust yourself and kind of go where it feels good to you. Whereas if you have a provider saying you can only do it one way, you're never going to be able to tap into the potential that, that, or confidence Mm -hmm. of giving birth in the way that you want and on your terms. And being able to trust those instinctual things that come and happen during And not dampening that, Mm -hmm. not dampening that, like dampening confidence and going beyond 40 weeks because you're not, they say you're not allowed, right? You're not allowed. So therefore they did the dampens their confidence and it increases their fear of like, oh, they're going to want to induce me or I don't, I can't go past my due date. There's something wrong if I go past my due date. And it's like those simple thoughts over that one, one component of pregnancy has damaging long lasting effects. And that's just one example. And that's just one example. Exactly. So the article goes in to say um, that words have power and we can take back that power in some simple ways. And so it gives um, kind of four little like bullet points um, that we wanted to touch on as well. Um, And now that, and again, my word of the year is awareness. Awareness precedes change. So Mm -hmm. bringing an awareness to, oh, okay, the words do have power. Well, I haven't really thought about how the word allow or not allow, you know, can really affect me mentally, right? And then yeah. it changes, you know, that can really impact how you are approaching, you know, your upcoming labor and birth. So um, the first one it has, it says, don't stay silent when you hear this kind of language in casual conversation. And I think that's that's where, that's where I've learned it from you as well, as far as like catch that word allow, and then you can flip it and ask them those questions in that open-ended manner, like you've mentioned, Rachel, you know, yeah, like, how, well, do, you how do you support this? Mm-hmm. So, and then tell maybe, me more about something. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Tell me those risks. So you even, you know, you talk a lot about that brain acronym and I feel like that plays a part here Huge. where, you know, and it's, it's that you don't have to be um, confrontational about. You don't have to be like, well, I don't like the words that you're using type of thing. You know, like it could be just, well, how do you support this? And so when you can say it differently, um, maybe that can help them change the conversation. And that next point, um, this list of tips is that be gentle while you're being firm. <laughs> it does say that. I forgot. Yeah, I wasn't remember reading it. <laughs> it says, and what's cool. No, and I just, it's a great segue is because it, it says, remember that most people are just repeating something common and accepted, and they probably haven't thought much about it. So make it your goal to inform, not convince. And that's to your point about like being, it doesn't have to be abrasive or confrontational. And it's also not saying that you have to be all nice and polite about it either. If you feel like you've got to communicate in a certain way, communicate in your way. But it's also trying to see the other person for a human as well. And that they're probably just repeating something that they've learned along the way. And it's trying to just inform them of like, just flipping that script, gently like offering up a new way of saying it. And again, you don't have to be gentle, but it, if we want to be productive, I think we have to be compassionate, right? You have to be like, I always try and paint the provider is not the bad guy, 
but they're, no. you know, we want to, and that's why choice of provider matters. You don't want to go into birth feeling like you got to like fight a war. You want to go into birth feeling like you trust your provider. Right. And I feel like I would say be gentle while you're being firm and respectful. Like there is, you can be respectful and still ask to have that, um, to change the language, you know? Yeah. And so, Absolutely. you know, it's kind of honoring both sides of the conversation. Yeah. We you also know, always say, to, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, well, I always hate to like, you know, we definitely don't want to paint the picture of like, oh, no. every OB is out there and they're just Gosh, no. got their well, no, that's what white we're trying to do and the, you know, pointing the finger and, you know, so definitely not coming across like that at all. Mm-mm. But, um, but yeah, mm-hmm. having that respect for that provider too, but knowing, you know, not everybody's for you. So it's got to go two ways. Like you, again, you, how, when we've talked about this before too, about like paying attention to how you feel when you're around your provider, mm-hmm. do you feel safe and comfortable and trustworthy and confident? Or do you feel a little anxious and nervous and uncertain and like inferior? Um, you know, Trust do they, those instincts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like just kind of heed that Mm-hmm. Listen, tap into your intuition. It'll make this whole process easier. And and then try and find that provider where it's going to be less of a of a com, you know, combative situation. Um, but knowing and also respecting that not everyone has the choice to change providers. So giving tools and giving phrases and giving power to those who who don't have the choice of changing providers, it's not always easy or available. So there's still like work of, you know, you can still stand up for yourself even if you're not able to to change providers, to change. you've got to be prepared to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, advocate for yourself and have a birth, you know, maybe a doula if possible, or, um, you know, people around you who are there to support you in a meaningful way and look out for you. Um, so, and that hits those next, the next two points though, because this, that third one is to choose to give your business mm-hmm. to providers who use yes. respectful language. So again, yes, if you do have that ability, then yes, yes. Um, yes, you know, you can hire and fire and, you know, interview and all of those things um, as long as you want during <laughs> that pregnancy, you know? Yeah. Um, but then also you had even mentioned having that like support team mm-hmm. and having, it's kind of like the partner stand up for your loved ones. So that's that last point as well mm-hmm. too. So, and whether it's yeah, the partner, partner, whether it's the doula, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Having that person there um, speak up as well and be like, oh, well, I don't feel comfortable with this language. The partner, they can also tap into the Oh my gosh, yeah. You get them on board well with mm-hmm. looking out for you because when you're in labor, you're super vulnerable. Vulnerable. You, your confidence might be waning. Your doubt might increase. Your fear is going to increase. So having a strong someone by your side who's going to have your best interest at stake and be able to speak up for you, whether that be an, an aunt or a sister or a mom or your partner, um, you know, getting them on board and and explaining this to them, this language and giving them the tools that we've shared here will help empower them too. Cause you need that kind of support, especially if you don't have a supportive um, provider, you know, and I also wanted to highlight one other thing that uh, this article says is that the, this throwing in allowed and not allowed is kind of a sloppy way <laughs> of communicating. It's, it's, reinforcement of deep cultural beliefs about women as passive objects, not full owners of their bodies, nor representatives of their babies, and having like lesser decision making capacity than those they've hired to support them. These ideas will take time to change, but birth is a great place to start. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, that one. 
<laughs> that one, <laughs> we're going deep with that, you know, but that's where, yeah. I mean, if we're going to break that down and those words, you know, I get a little mm-hmm. feisty. Well, who are you mm-hmm. to tell me that I can or can't do something? You well, know, you realize this is that <laughs> it's a systemic, that can be uh-huh. a systemic problem by simply uh-huh. saying allowed or not allowed. I know, right? You can see how it can be an <laughs> overarching, mm-hmm. like deep running problem that perpetuates, you know, mom to daughter, daughter to daughter, you know, like it just can keep going. Oh gosh. Um, Are we going to talk about intergenerational trauma here? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll say, we'll put it. We'll say in that home. one. Oh my. Cause I mean, yeah, I know. I mean, definitely. And speaking of any sort of systemic issues that we have, I mean, this also, you know, these words, it's, they, it's all, it's everybody giving birth, you know, like it's, it's tough. And it's mm-hmm. really, really changing those deep ingrained um, words. And that's where I felt even when I have even asked me, like, oh, are they going to allow this? I'm like, oh, why am I saying that? Mm-hmm. You know, like I have to kind of check myself sometimes too and be like, no, I need to still flip this in the office and be like, how are they supporting this? When I'm talking to moms and asking about, mm-hmm. you know, their care providers. Right. Yeah. With. Like I still catch myself. I'm like, language. it's ingrained in me too. So. Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So grace. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. But every awareness. time you stop yourself mm-hmm. and bring that awareness and flip it and say it differently, they're going to learn and it takes repetition. Um, but I wanted to say this too, that the legal authority in childbirth lies with the woman giving birth, not the providers of care. So yes, they are a team, but of the two, it is the woman who truly bears the rights and the risk of childbirth. And our words should reflect that reality. And when, you know, as this article points out that you have a one in three average cesarean rate in facilities where practices vary widely, even among individual providers, like we are tying women's hands when we continue to reinforce this dysfunction by using words like allow to describe an outdated dynamic that doesn't recognize us as competent rights-bearing adults. I get fiery about this. I know. I think (laughs) it is so important and it transcends birth. It's beyond birth. This is, this is what cracked me wide open about going through my, my first birth experience was what it led to afterwards. All of a sudden I was taking all of this into my PD, you know, care for my child, my own individual care. Like, how I spoke to my husband about his care. Like it just, it goes on beyond birth and it helps us become better like participants in society. Mm, I 100% agree with that. I know this is a good article. I like this one. A lot. I really like it. I'm saving it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so fun um, chatting with you today. It's good to yeah, be well, back on here. Thanks. Yeah, it was a good one. And if you guys enjoyed uh, this episode, definitely um, share it on social media. You take a little screenshot. You can tag us. It's aligned underscore birth. If you feel like you really love what you're hearing, you could always leave us a little review. Your reviews help more people find and listen to our show, which helps us get to keep doing this work because we love it so much. <laughs> yes, yes. We appreciate all the love and support and stay tuned next week for another episode. Thanks for listening to the Aligned Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, screenshot it and tag us on Instagram at aligned underscore birth 
or leave a rating and review. If you don't want to miss our newest episodes, be sure to tap the subscribe button. Your support is greatly appreciated. As always, we strive to bring you lots of information because knowledge is power and applied knowledge is empowerment. Thanks again for being here and see you next week.